0: not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: Chris Gobbets, it is a privilege and honor to have you as a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. So, you discovered an attorney uh, who was committing fraud, how did that play into your role, uh, your undercover role? So I was, uh,
2: I was an intern undercover, and um, I started taking phone calls from, from Muslims that were calling into the office at CARE, and I could tell that they were upset. And um, what I ended up finding was um, notes of Muslims complaining about this, this guy, um, not returning the phone calls, and yet he had taken that money. Mm-hmm. Now, what ended up happening was, is Care actually closed that office down. So, rather than contact the local state bar association, rather than contact the local um, the local police or state police and telling and, and telling them about the fraud, Care did the exact opposite. They closed down their offices, they closed email accounts, bank accounts, and they started shredding documents. Now, who does the boring work of shredding documents in an office? It's the intern, right? So. Um, I actually, as a citizen, could not, in good conscience, shred evidence in a crime and or a fraud, and so therefore, I preserved those documents uh, in the trunk of my car, and uh that is where I began to collect what ended up being over the course of six months, twelve thousand pages of evidence uh from care showing that they were involved in fraud um supporting terrorism and uh Waging civilization jihad here in the
1: United States so you were able to get your hands on a lot of probably what's sensitive documents that would never ever have seen the light of day
2: yeah if it um, that case actually that attorney that um, that was uh, defrauding Muslims on behalf of care representing care uh, I don't believe that that would have ever seen the light of day if it were not for the Muslim Mafia and being able to preserve those documents. In fact, at a fundraiser later on that year, uh, my father ended up serving papers, uh, civil papers, on behalf of five Muslims that were defrauded by Care um, to the executive director, Nihal Awad of Care, and so um, that lawsuit is still ongoing, and it looks like um, it is going in in favor of the uh, of the, the the plaintiffs in that.
1: Well, that's certainly very good. I mean, I mean. You know, when people spend their hard-earned money, I'm sure these people who spent the money were not overly wealthy. Uh, they, were trying to right. get, they were trying to get some immigration results, and they trusted their, what they felt was their a sympathetic organization who would actually go to bat and help them, and here they were just taking their money. But the bottom line for you is, is it gave you access to documents that uh, whether they'd been... It, they could have stayed in that office for decades, for all anyone knew. But because they were forced to shred the documents, that's when you were able to get your hands on them. What did you see in that's those correct. documents?
2: Um, well, I mean, look. You know, I think one of the one of the one of the, the documents that should upset a lot of people is that, it, and it's in the book, uh, the Muslim Mafia. But we preserved a, a lot of those documents for the book themselves. It actually, you can see the actual document, a copy of it. Um, there was a meeting that had taken place in CARE where they had discussed uh, supporting bin Laden. Now, understand that CARE, these are, these are the guys, uh, Nihad Awad was standing behind President Bush when he gave his speech uh, after 9-11, uh, lecturing Americans about the peaceful nature of Islam. Right? This, so this is not just some, some random group out there, obscure group. This is a group that has access and has had access to the White House, and, and uh, yet they're... So on the one hand, they're working with uh, leaders, including the President of the United States. On the other hand, they're having meetings in their own meetings talking about supporting bin Laden. Um, this, is, this is who these guys are, and it really goes, Dr. Dan, to the fundamental problem that we have in this country right now which is we have two movements that are working to destroy America from within. Now, I got to see one of those movements, the global Islamic movement, and primarily the global Islamic movement here in the United States is the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, They're the biggest players in all of this. Um, They work with legislators on Capitol Hill. They work with federal law enforcement agencies on domestic counterterrorism programs. They work with Uh, federal, state, and local law enforcement. They work with mayors, city councils, universities, and all they're trying to do is, per their own documents, is to destroy America from within. And they're working hand-in-hand with another movement, the Marxist movement, the hard-left Marxist-Socialist movement that has been, in this country, very active since at least the 1930s and 40s, to destroy America. What we're witnessing right now is the convergence of these two movements, which is why we're seeing such a divided nation right now. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. We'll be right back after this quick break.
1: This is a very, uh, obviously a very dangerous time uh, for America. Uh, Many of us have been Especially older Americans are well aware of the of the Marxist Marxist movement. Uh, It has been evident from uh, from before the Second World War, Um, you know, and and so many of us are aware of the from the McCarthy hearings and the the League of Nations, United Nations, the Council on Foreign Relations. There are the government is pretty much filled with Marxists undercover trying to destroy america what you have added is by description is that the second insurgency that we're fighting in this country is the muslim or islam jihad and sharia law conspiracy which uh also want the same goal but how how could those two groups ever possibly work together i mean they're very very different
2: yeah you know it's interesting so well, I'll start with the Muslim Brotherhood. You know, the Muslim Brothers, since they're the most dominant um jihadi group here in the United States, where, you know, I myself and my colleagues refer to them as suit wearing jihadis, right? So they, they're not on the battlefield shooting things and blowing things up here in the United States. Primarily they wear suits and they influence and they conduct intelligence um and espionage um and influence primarily within the media and law enforcement and uh legislators. But this really starts in 1928 in Egypt, in Cairo, Egypt, and a man by the name of Hassan al banna created the Muslim Brotherhood because in 1924 the Ottoman Caliphate was dissolved. So this is something that's really new for a lot of people. You know, for 1,400 years, primarily there has always been at least one uh, caliphate, and a caliphate is simply the Islamic State. Um, the global Islamic State, with the Caliph, who is the global leader of the Islamic State. There has always been at least one caliphate for 1,400 years. But in 1924, Kemal Ataturk in Turkey dissolved the caliphate, the Ottoman Empire. And in 1928, Hassan al-Banna said, no, we need to reestablish the caliphate. And so they have been working the Muslim Brotherhood um, since 1928 to restore the caliphate. And this movement, they started moving people here in the United States, big moves in the 1960s, and steadily building up organization and structure. So you have certain organizations like the Islamic Society of North America, the Islamic Circle of North America, and CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, and others. There are literally dozens and dozens, uh, actually hundreds of these groups that they've created. And they started to realize that they could make more headway working with the left. Now, to your point and your question, why in the world, you know, Sharia is absolutely antithetical to what the leftists, the progressives say they're all about. You know, they say they're all about women's rights. They say they're all about uh, LGBT rights, um, equality, etc. And yet under Sharia, none of those rights exist, right? right. Um, but the, the where they come together, Dr. Dan, is that what do the two movements need they in order to actualize their goal? So the Marxist movement needs civil unrest and revolution, and the Islamic movement needs revolution in order to achieve their goal. So they're perfectly willing to work together to achieve that to fundamentally change America from where it is and then out of that fundamental change or revolution, they have divergent opinions as to where they'll go. But in the meantime, they'll work together to destroy America.
1: You bring up, and, and I want to get back to this because uh, we're definitely, uh, we definitely need to talk more about it, but I, I just uh, I want to remind us that we are talking uh, with uh, Chris Govitz, uh, a national security consultant, speaker, and conservative political activist. He trains law enforcement and strat- on the strategies and modus operandi of jihadis in order to locate and prosecute jihadi networks. One of the things that you've said so far that is really important that people get, and I want you to emphasize this, uh, is the fact that the, all of these groups in America, the, the ones, they're all front groups for stealth jihad that that is something that is i want you to just expound to your heart's delight on that because we are constantly being told that islam is a religion of peace and the the people who are blowing stuff up uh they're just some radical group on some side i don't know which side they'd call it who don't obey this and don't obey that and they're just uh, they they shouldn't be but we this whole big group of Muslims we're just we just want peace and coexistence and you have groups that now are the primary advisors of our national government in Washington D.C. who really are wolves in sheep's clothing and you know that how do you know that well you know the interesting thing about this is that Yes, I know a lot of information about these groups
2: because I've studied them and I've I've worked with them side by side and, and seen them work from within. But all we need to really do is look at the Holy Land Foundation case. Now, the Holy Land Foundation was the largest Islamic charity in the United States in 2001, and it was indicted in 2001 for funneling millions of dollars to designated terrorist group Hamas. I want to remind everybody that Hamas is the Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. So designated terrorist group Hamas um, has a charity in the United States called the Holy Land Foundation. And that charity was the largest Islamic charity in the United States. And in 2008, there were 108 uh, guilty counts that came out of that. Uh, indictment for the Holy Land and for funneling millions of dollars to Hamas. Now, during the course of that trial, during the course of that trial, the U.S. government identified dozens of organizations that were either uh, generally the Muslim Brotherhood or specifically Hamas organizations. And the U.S. government identified CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, the Islamic Society of North America and the North American Islamic Trust as being actual uh, Hamas organizations here in the United States. So you don't have to take my words for it. The U.S. government identified those organizations. In fact, they named them unindicted co-conspirators with the idea of prosecuting them, indicting them um, the following year. Well, the problem is, Dr. Dan, we got a new attorney general in 2009 by the name of Eric Holder and he shut down that 15-year FBI investigation. Uh, and to this day, none of the unindicted co-conspirators uh, have, been, uh, have been indicted. Now, to your earlier question about Islam being a religion of peace, I want to be very clear t- about something. I have been at this since 2007. Um, I have been studying this issue uh, tremendously. Uh, it's, it's taken a lot of my time. still does. Islam means submission. It has always meant submission for 1,400 years. Uh, uh, A Muslim is one who submits, and the way that a Muslim submits to Allah is by adhering to the Sharia. Now, there are different schools of Islamic thought. Uh, The Sunni school has four um, um, recognized uh, schools of thought. They all 100% agree that Jihad is to be waged until the entire planet is under Sharia. Now, does every person that self-identifies as a Muslim actually adhere to Sharia? No. I mean, you know, regardless of the belief system out there of anything, very few human beings actually adhere to any ideologies, teachings 100%, right? Um, so there's different from a law enforcement perspective. The more that a Muslim adheres to Sharia, the higher level of adherence, the more likely that they are to support the jihad, because necessarily Sharia calls for jihad. Now, the other aspect of this that people sometimes get confused with is that they think of jihad as just physical fighting, but it's not. it's 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 infiltrating um, your enemy, it's its intelligence, it's it's media manipulation and propaganda. It's every line of effort you can think of in a war, including shooting things and blowing things up, the kinetic warfare. And so from their perspective, the Muslim Brotherhood is still waging jihad by having someone like Nihad Awad standing behind the president after 9-11. That is more effective to them than than many of the people that are actually dying and fighting on the battlefield for them, because they've got access to the president of the United States. Um, That is part of the jihad as
1: well. And so they really continue to have access, not just with that one person, but there have been uh, obviously numerous people throughout the last decades who have had enormous influence in the decisions made uh, and the policies of the federal government. And we, they are presented to us at, at face value as being good Muslims or or. Forget their Muslims, yeah, moderates or whatever you want to call them, but in actuality, they are the wolves in sheep's clothing, which you've you've talked about. So that that really is one of the things that you have have come out with that's so important for us to realize. Uh, These are people we cannot trust, but yet our leaders trust them. Well, and that's
2: and that's really the thing that is. um, It's hard. It's very hard to get people to understand that book. Um, Islamic law, Sharia, allows not just allows, but obliges a Sharia-adherent Muslim to lie in order to advance the jihad, right? So they can actually lie to your faith, um if they're adhering to Sharia um, to advance the jihad. And I'll give you one example, Dr. Dan, and for your listeners. To me, this is the most fascinating um, failure by our um, national security apparatus and intelligence apparatus to to identify threats here in the homeland. So there was a man by the name of Rahman al-Mudi. Um, he was the most prominent Islamic advisor in, in the 1990s. He founded or led over two dozen of the most prominent Islamic organizations in America in the 90s. He was an advisor to President Bill Clinton. He was a U.S. State Department-trained um, goodwill ambassador. He was a goodwill ambassador for the State Department. Um, he founded the Department of Defense, uh, Muslim Chaplain Certification Program. And then um, he also, and then in, um, no other Islamic leader visited the White House more in the 1990s than Abdurrahman al-Mudi. And he actually helped foster our training programs and our counterterrorism measures here in the United States. In 2003, he has stopped at Heathrow Airport with a bag of $340,000 cash. And uh, he was convicted for being, uh, for funding terrorism because he was an Al-Qaeda financier. That goes to show you that the jihad is not just physical fighting. Imagine the, that program that he put in place, the, the Department of Defense Muslim Chapel Certification Program, is still in place. Um, you know, the, the, the impact that that one person had, and I would just ask people to ask themselves, do you really think, Abdurrahman al-Muni was the only one, um, and he's not. I mean, I can just tell you right now, he's not the only one. Any of these uh, Islamic leaders that have any affiliation with any of the Muslim Brotherhood organizations um, are a detriment to national security, and yet, because uh, no one wants to be called an Islamophobe, many of these people are not called out. You know, the example that I use is, is Michelle Bachman, she was courageous. She wanted to investigate Muslim Brotherhood influence in uh, in Washington, D.C. And she was shouted down, of course, by the Democrats. But who was shouting the loudest? It was leadership in the GOP. It was John Boehner, Marco Rubio, um, John McCain that called her an Islamophobe and, and a bigot and told her to, to stop talking about the Muslim Brotherhood. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website www.drdansfreedomforum.com The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual
1: freedom. I get joy in everything. 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 Everything gonna be all right this morning.